Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, uh, how are we doing? Everybody's good? Listen, I told, I told our huddle, our team huddle, our G team at 9 o'clock this morning, and then I told our 9.30 service, if you aren't excited, I have enough excitement for you today. I don't know why. If, if you don't have enough faith for what we're going to talk about, I got enough faith for you, so you're in good shape today. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. Some of you are just here to pray for your team to win tomorrow night, and I understand that. That's fine. I'm not a fan of either team. I hope they both lose if that's possible. I got booed in the first service for that, but we prayed those people through to victory. And uh, we're just going to pray for Tennessee football, that we're really turning things around. The Lord's helping us and healing us, and Coach Heupel's got things on the right track. No, no, no. Uh, it's going to be fun tomorrow night and all of that. But I am glad that you're here today. We're in a fun season right now of our church. We're in the middle of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And today is day eight. We started last Sunday, so we've made it through the first week of 21 days. And so if you are fasting, whatever it is you're fasting, I'm just going to say to you, I'm praying for you. Every single day, I'm praying for you that God would use your efforts in fasting to help you to press in and press through and to receive all that you are desiring for and from God. Like he doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. And yet I believe there's something powerful about fasting that gets the heart and gets the attention of God. What we say here, and we stole it from a lot of other people, is that prayer connects us to God and fasting disconnects us from the world. And so whatever it is that you're fasting, I encourage you to use that time to connect further to God, to take that time and that energy and to pray and spend time with the Lord. And so if you're fasting specific types of food, I pray that your body's made that adjustment. If you are, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of the, the, the season of temptation, it seems like. Uh, I had some folks tell me this week that their coworkers had never brought them coffee ever in the history of their job. And they gave up caffeine as a part of this fast, and their coworkers have tried to get them coffee three times this week. I think that's what Jesus felt like on the top of the mountain when the devil was tempting him during his 40-day fast. Uh, I'm not eating bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits, and yet someone offered me one yesterday during our prayer service, like during the prayer service. Like that's the, that's the temptation of the enemy. But whatever you're fasting, we're praying for you. Whatever you're praying for, we're praying for you and believing that God is going to do exactly what you're asking and even beyond that. And so we invite you to join us Monday through Friday from 6 to 7 a.m. We're meeting here in person. Got a great group of people that are meeting every single day. And then we've got those that are joining us online as they get ready for work or get ready for school. We'd love to have you be with us on those mornings, Monday through Friday from 6 to 7. And then on Saturday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m., uh, just a really, really special time. And then Wednesday night, if you can't make it during the mornings for a lot of different reasons, Wednesday night we're meeting at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8 during these three weeks. So we have two Wednesday nights left for worship, for a short teaching, for some prayer moments, and then we're taking communion together every one of these Wednesday nights. So we'd love for you to be with us uh, this coming week on the Monday through Saturday mornings or on Wednesday night. And then yesterday was a big day in the history of our church. It was our 10th anniversary. We launched January the 8th, 2012 at Sequoia High School. Uh, I sent them this picture for them to, to post up. This is from our very first service there at Sequoia. This was right before the service started. Uh, we were kind of getting ready for things there. You can see on the screen we were Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. That's the longest church name in the history of the world. Uh, but we were a campus of a church about 20 or 25 minutes south. And we were in the high school there, portable for four years, 209 Sundays. And God just really helped us and blessed us in that season. Then we moved into this location upstairs. We expanded upstairs, and then we moved into this space and just continuing to see God move among us. And I'm thankful for what God has done in the last 10 years. I really, really am. 
Uh, but I, I'm holding a Bible. I wouldn't lie to you anyway, even if I wasn't. But I believe our best days are in front of us. I believe that all that God has done in the first 10 years, that he's going to exceed that. I believe that marriages are going to be restored. Like I, I use this example and I don't use it lightly. Maybe you, you fought all the way to church and today was the day like you're kind of giving God one more shot. Like I believe that you're just the seeds of what God's going to do in restoring marriages. And sons and daughters that have walked away from the faith are going to walk back home and come back into relationship with Jesus Christ. And lost people are going to be saved. I, I really do believe that in my heart. And so I'm thankful for what the next 10 years holds and beyond. We're going to celebrate uh, our 10-year anniversary. We didn't want to do that in the middle of the 21 days because we're going to have cupcakes and stuff. And uh, so you might have been fasting that. So we're going to celebrate together on January the 30th. Uh, it's the last Sunday of this month. And so we'd love for you to be with us on that Sunday, January the 30th, as we celebrate our 10th anniversary. It's going to be a really, really great day. Today we are continuing in the series we started last week called Miracles in the Making. And we talked last week about the fact that there is an end to what we can do for ourselves. We believe in the natural. We believe there's some things we should do. The Bible tells us if you don't work, you don't eat. Like there's some things you've got to do. We're on the hook for as human beings. But we also believe that there comes an end to what we are capable of. And at the end of the natural, we believe in the supernatural. We believe that God intervenes in our lives and he meets us at our place of need and that God can do more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. And so we believe in miracles and so we're praying all month long for God to do the miraculous in the circumstances of our lives that extend beyond our ability to meet those needs. And so today I want us to look at a story that is one of the most rich emotional stories, I think, in all of the Gospels. Uh, my lovely wife, Corey, was the one up here just a few minutes ago that read uh, that story and really kind of gave us some, some setting. She, she, she did a beautiful job. She also filled in last minute. We had somebody else that was scheduled to do that, and they got sick late last night. And so she filled in and uh, just told a, a, a huge portion of this story that helps us to understand the context of a woman who was suffering for a really, really long time. This story is found in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And uh, we're going to read together the Mark account. It's in Mark chapter 5. You've got a Bible. I'd love for you to go there with me. We're going to refer back to per, uh, portions of this passage throughout the remainder of our time today. And so I'd love for us just to read it together. If you've got a Bible app, I'm reading from the NIV so that you can follow along there as well. This will be up on the screen. This is what it says in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. <clears throat> it says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When I read this passage of scripture, as I have been reading this over the last few weeks in anticipation of today... And really kind of coming out of a process a few months ago where we were prayerful about what God would have for us to start the year. We felt like these miracle stories of, of scripture would, would really help us to trust God for greater things. This was one of the stories I knew we would go to. And I began reading it even just in the fall of last year. And when I read this story, there's about six things that come out of this story. It'll take us a couple hours to go through them all. It's going to be great. I'm just kidding. You're not with me. That's all right. You'll get with me later. 
Um, when you talk back to me, I go shorter, okay? So if, you, if I don't think it's landing, I'm going to go all day long. There's six things that I see here. We'll, we'll spend the remainder of our time together today just kind of unpacking these quickly. This is the first thing that I see. It said for 12 years. For 12 years. That's a long time. I mean, you heard how many months it is and how many weeks it is. And when I think about that idea, I think about her waiting for 12 years to receive her miracle. I think about the circumstances that she was walking through every single day and every single week and every single month waiting on God to solve this problem. And I was reminded how hard waiting actually is. I hate to wait. I really do. I, I, I don't like to go to restaurants where the wait is very long. Like I start to do that mental math. Like, I mean, how good is the food here? Like, is it worth sitting around? Like I, I, I try to do that. I also think like we got four kids. Like, are they going to tear the place down if they sit us here that long? And, but usually it's on me. Like, I just don't want to sit there that long. I'm like, no, we'll just go somewhere else. I don't like to sit in traffic. I don't like to wait in traffic. I would rather be driving backwards in the opposite direction, but keep moving than to sit still waiting on traffic to move. I, I hate to wait. And so I started thinking about the various people throughout Scripture who also had to wait and how hard it was for them to trust God in the midst of their waiting. And I just want to share a few of these. This is not an exhaustive list. This is actually a very short list, just a handful or so, of some people that had to wait in Scripture. Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, he had to wait for an entire year, an entire year in a boat while God's punishment was administered on the earth. Now, he had to wait between 80 and 100 years from the time that God actually gave him the instructions of building the boat. And God said, hey, I'm gonna, I want you to build a boat. He's like, great, what's a boat? He's like, what's well, what you're going to be in when it rains? He's like, great, what's rain? Like he had no context at all. And so he goes about being obedient to God over the next 80 to 120 years, building this thing in his backyard. And it eventually gets bigger than his back, his back fence. And so his neighbors start to think he's crazy. And then he goes into this boat with his family and all of these various animals. And it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And at that point, he's thinking, okay, well, this is what God told us he would do. But then it stops raining. And then he's just got to wait for another 150 days while the water begins to kind of go down and go down and go down until the boat, a boat eventually stops on the top of a mountain. And then he waits a little longer and then he sends out various birds and they come back because there's nowhere to land. And then they come back with an olive branch and then they don't come back because they find a place. But he's still got to wait. And scripture tells us that he was on that boat waiting for one full year. Now, I don't have pets because we have four kids. That's enough. But I can't imagine being in a boat with stinky, smelly animals for a whole year. And there, there's like no reprieve. There's nowhere to go. You just, you're just stuck waiting on God to do what God said he was going to do. Waiting is hard. Abraham had the promise from God that he was going to bear a child. He was going to have a son. And he and Sarah just weren't convinced that God was going to be able to keep that promise. And so Abraham and Sarah got in a hurry, and Sarah offered Abraham her servant Hagar. And so Abraham and Hagar have a son named Ishmael. And because Abraham and Sarah wouldn't wait, the ancestors of Isaac and Ishmael are still fighting in the Middle East today because they got in a hurry, and they just wouldn't and couldn't wait Jacob grows up and he falls in love with a woman, Rachel, and he wants to marry her. And he works for her father for seven years to get Rachel. But at the end of that time, he gets the older sister because that was the custom of the day. And he's got to work seven more years to be able to have this woman that he loves. Like he had to wait and to work because his father-in-law broke his promise. Like it is tough to wait. Joseph has a dream at about 17 years old. 
And Joseph's got to wait between 20 and 30 years to see the fulfillment of that dream come to pass. And he's not just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. While he's waiting on that dream to come to pass, he spends time in a pit because his brothers hated him. He's sold into slavery. He spends time at Potiphar's house and he gets lied about. He spends time in prison where he gets forgotten about. All while he waits on the fulfillment of God's dream to come to pass in his life. Moses got tired of waiting. He was this promised child. His mother helped to save him even when the young boys were being put to death. And so he's in a basket and his sister's watching. He eventually makes his way to Pharaoh's house as he gets a little older. And he recognizes that he's supposed to do something powerful for his people. And he thinks he understands how it's going to play out. And one day out in the desert, not too far from where he's living, he kills someone thinking that this is how he will save his people only to have to go on the run and spend time in the desert until God speaks again from a burning bush to say, now it's my time for you to fulfill your purpose. He had to wait. He got in a hurry and wasted years of his life. Eventually, the children of Israel want a king, and God gives them their wishes, and so they have King Saul. And one day, they are going into battle, and Saul gets tired of waiting on the prophet to show up to bless and to offer sacrifice to God before they go into battle. And Saul says, hey, he's not here. I'll just do it. He offers sacrifice, and about that time, the prophet shows up and says, what have you done? And Saul says, well, you were running late. I didn't want to wait, and so I offered sacrifice. And the prophet rebukes him, and he says, hey, because you got in a hurry and didn't trust me and didn't trust God, God is removing his anointing from your life, and you will no longer be king, and there's going to be a new king in Israel, and it's going to be David. Because he couldn't wait. Waiting is hard. The entire nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, They had to wait 400 years from the end of the voice of God through the prophets in the Old Testament until the angel begins to pronounce the good news of great joy in the New Testament. They waited for 400 years in silence, not knowing if God was even still present in their life and in their circumstances as all these things were happening so that they were being oppressed while they waited for the coming birth of the Messiah. Mary, the mother of Jesus, also had an angel appear to her and give her this great news that she was carrying the Son of God. She was carrying the Messiah through supernatural means. And she had to wait nine months for the fulfillment of that promise. And many of the women in the room who have had children understand what that waiting feels like. It is not idle time. Jesus himself, the Son of God, he also had to wait 30 years of his life to begin his public ministry, which only lasted for three years. If you are waiting right now on a miracle, if you're waiting on the fulfillment of promise, if you're waiting on something that you're seeking from God, can I just say to you, you are not alone in your waiting. That that doesn't make it better, but perhaps it makes it bearable for you to recognize that waiting is hard for everyone. She waited for 12 years. But while she waited, she wasn't idle. Like she was doing things. She was trying to find solutions. Scripture tells us that she went and tried every doctor she could find. She spent all the money that she had to try to determine what it was that was wrong with her and how she could get better. And so she wasn't idle. She was looking for solutions. And today, if you find yourself in a season of waiting, I would say to you, what is it that you're doing while you wait? It is important that we make sure that our seasons of waiting aren't wasted. So if you're single today and you want to be married, how are you preparing yourself now to be the kind of spouse that the spouse you're looking for is looking for? Like what is it you're doing to prepare yourself to be the man or the woman of God that God would bring someone to? 
If you're saying, hey, I want to have a child, I want to get a job, I want to retire, I want to, whatever it is that you're waiting on, like what are you doing in this season of waiting to make sure that your waiting isn't wasted? How might God use seasons of waiting to bring about something in our life? Here's the tragedy of her story in this regard. Her efforts compounded her pain. The second thing that I see in this story is it says this, instead of getting better, she grew worse. She grew worse. I hate to tell you that, but that may happen in your circumstances too. It may happen in mine. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that the sun rises on the good and the evil. It tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. We are not exempt. Even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are not exempt from bad things. We live in a fallen and sinful world. And so as a part of that, the natural circumstances of our lives sometimes bring bad circumstances into our lives. But here's the great hope for all of us. We are not assured that we will never have problems. We are assured the presence of God in the midst of our problems. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to be close to the brokenhearted. 2 Corinthians tells us that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We do have a hope in the midst of our waiting. We do have a hope when things aren't going well in the way that we would hope that they would. And so when we think about all of these things, we cling to the words of Jesus that says, in this world, he said this in John, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Everything you're wrestling with, everything you're you're fighting right now, every problem that you're facing in your life, I've already overcome that. You may not realize victory yet, you may not see all of the things that you're seeking yet, but I promise you that I have overcome all of those things. And so what happens is as things grew worse, it created in her what you hope it always creates in us, a sense of desperation. A sense of desperation, it caused her to want to do something. The third thing that I see in this story is that she says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She was so desperate, even after 12 years of suffering, even after all that she had faced, everything that she watched happen in her life, every bad report from the doctor, every time she had to pay more money for a copay, and, and she, she owed more money for this, and, owed, and she had to do a different treatment, and it was painful and worse than the last time. It created a sense of desperation in her heart that she was saying, like, if I can just get to Jesus, she heard that he was passing by. Now, I want you to think about this. I didn't even say this in the, in the 930 service, but as I, was, as I was thinking back and reflecting back about what God did in that service, I was reminded of this because someone was sharing something with me in the lobby after that service. They, they said, you don't, you don't understand how long I've been suffering. And I was thinking about not only did she suffer for 12 years, her suffering began before Jesus' ministry did. Like the answer to her prayer was the perfect timing of God with her life to intersect with his. There may be something that you and I don't understand about your waiting season. I wish I could tell you this is why this is happening. This is why it's lasted so long. This is why it's taking place the way it is. But I don't understand all things. Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And I don't use that as this blank canvas to say, hey, everything we don't understand, like just trust God. I mean, let's trust God and believe that his timing is perfect. And that even though we walk through seasons of suffering and seasons of trials from time to time, it should create in us a desperation because here's what I believe. Desperation creates determination. If, if we get disappointed and we get sad and we allow ourselves to kind of turn inward and, and we, just, we just look to ourselves, 
We're not going to find the solution that we need. But if we, if we get desperate that whatever it takes to get to Jesus, I'm willing to do it. If I'm determined to get to him. And so she says, listen, I don't even have to have a conversation with him. If I can just kind of push through the crowd and get there and just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, that's all I need. Just to touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. And that desperation in her created a determination. That's incredibly powerful for me. Because it had been 12 years And she had been disappointed and she had gotten bad news. And yet she still believed, she had faith that he was the man of power and authority that could give her everything that she was longing for. I remember as a young boy hearing that verse of scripture that says that you should have just like the faith of a mustard seed. You can move a whole mountain. And I used to believe that what that meant is if you just had this little bit of faith, then you had no doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is moving in spite of your doubt. You and I are human beings. God gave us the emotions that we have. He gave us a mind to understand. But Proverbs tells us that we should trust in the Lord and lean not in our own understanding. We're not saying that you can't ever doubt. It's not doubting that it will happen. The doubt here that gets us in trouble sometimes is the doubt that we believe he's not even able to do it. If I cling to an ability like she does, that God has the ability to do it, I can let faith and doubt coexist in my life. If I say, God, I know that you can. I, I don't know when and I don't know how, but I know that you can. And so I cling to the faith that I'm just going to reach out and touch. I'm, I'm just going to try one more time. She had 12 years of suffering. Doctors couldn't help her. Credit cards were maxed out. But when she heard about Jesus, she came running. And what I would say to you, and maybe I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else right here, As I pray for every single one of us, we don't let our past disappointment keep us from seeking the miraculous today. We've been disappointed, we've been frustrated, we've been hurt. We've prayed prayers that didn't seem to get answered in the timing and the way that we wanted them to be. But we don't need to let our past disappointment keep us from seeking a miracle today. It just takes one touch. This is the next thing that I see. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped. I don't know why. I think this is funny. I do. It says immediately. It wasn't immediately. It was 12 years after it started. It wasn't immediately, except that it was immediately after she touched Jesus. There was a moment where everything changed. It was just one prayer. It was just one moment. It was just one faith-filled act that changed everything. And I don't know how long you've been suffering. It could have been a week, could have been a month, could have been a year, could have been 10, could have been 20. But what if the next prayer that you pray is the one that God answers? What if the next moment that you're seeking him to do, what only he can do is the moment he responds in the way that you're hoping and desiring him to do so? Immediately after she reached out in faith, the bleeding stopped. God can do it in a moment. What if today is that moment? The fifth thing that I see in this passage of Scripture says this. So she fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. I don't know if she thought she was going to get in trouble. I don't know why she was so afraid. I'm not sure how the doctors had treated her. I'm not sure who else she had gone to to be prayed for or to receive some type of potion or to 
to try something. I, I don't know all the process that she went through. But when she knew that she'd been caught, because the moment she touched his garment, she knew something changed in her. He turned around looking because he knew something had happened. And it scared her. And she thought she was in trouble, I guess. And so she waits and she waits. But she knows she can't escape it because he's continuing to look. She knows that he knows. And so she comes before him and she falls down at his feet. And in my mind's eye, and I'm not trying to add to scripture, in my mind's eye, she's, she's kneeling down on the ground, maybe even laying on the ground, and her face is down to the ground. She doesn't even want to look at him. And she's trembling in fear. She's afraid. All of the emotions of the last 12 years just come pouring out of her. And in that moment, she just tells him the whole truth. The whole truth. She doesn't hold anything back. And the reason that this stands out to me is that I'm convinced, because I've seen it in my own life, and perhaps I know it from your circumstances. So often we do suffer in silence. We're afraid to tell everybody the whole truth. We're afraid to talk about what we're afraid of. We're afraid to talk about what we've been experiencing. We're afraid to talk about what's going on. And so we just... We give them the 10% version. Hey, will you pray for me? I got an unspoken request. There's nothing wrong with those from time to time. Hey, hey, will you pray for me? And we give them the 50% version. Hey, I've got some stuff going on. You know, hey, pray for me. I got some tests this week. The doctor's going to run. I, he doesn't like something. I'm gonna, I, just, I got some tests. Can you pray for me? Hey, we, we got some, you know, some financial strain. We're going to work some overtime, do some things. But we don't give them the whole truth. Maybe we give them 90%, but we hold that 10% for ourselves. We don't want anybody to know. It's why we believe so much in groups. We're launching groups these next couple weeks. Like we believe in the power of community. We believe that we are not meant to live alone. Ecclesiastes tells us if one falls down by themselves, there's nobody there to help them, help them up. But if two are together and one falls down, you got somebody that can help you. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Like you want to get connected to some folks that can help you in life. Not everybody needs to know your junk. You don't need to broadcast all your stuff. I don't know that you even need to be sitting in your G group and tell everybody all your stuff all the time. But you need to have one or two. Somebody needs to know your junk. Somebody needs to know the whole truth. The unhealthiest seasons of my life is when I kept stuff on the inside because I was so afraid to talk about it. Like you just got to get some stuff out of you. And give the whole truth. Even if you are trembling in fear because you're worried about how it will be received and what do they think and what are they... No, no, no. She just unloaded everything she'd been walking through these last 12 years. Don't suffer in silence. Join a group. Find a friend. Go to a counselor. We've got a counseling referral sheet we can give to you, help you refer to someone that can walk with you and talk with you through the things that you're, you're processing right now. But don't allow physical sickness to become soul sickness. Don't re allow relational sickness to become soul sickness because you just keep repressing and, and repressing and repressing and pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down without telling somebody the whole truth of what's going on in your life. She fell at his feet, trembling in fear, and told him the whole truth. Here's the last thing that I see. Jesus responds to her and says, Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can I remind you of a great truth from Scripture today? 
it is not God's will for you to suffer. He did say, in this world you'll have trouble. We're going to have seasons and moments. That's actually a part of the sinfulness of the world that we live in and the brokenness of the world that we live in and sometimes the consequences of our own decisions. But God's desire for you is for freedom and for peace. That's what he longs for for your circumstances. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have freedom. And I don't know how long you've been walking with whatever it is that you're walking with today. I don't know how long your marriage has been in trouble. I don't know how long your relationship with your kids have been in trouble. I don't know how long your finances have been bad. I don't know how long you've been wrestling with some of these health issues, both physical and mental and emotional. I don't know how long you've been wrestling with some of those things. But what if today's your day? What if it's one more prayer? What if the prayer you pray today is the prayer? What if the faith-filled act of believing that if you just reach out one more time, it's going to be the time that he responds? Today could be your day. I told you. I told you right up front. I got enough faith for the both of us. I watched people stand all over this room in our first service seeking prayer, seeking the miraculous. I watched people seek God for whatever it was that they were walking through. And I believe we're going to hear testimonies and stories of God answering those prayers in the days ahead. I believe it with all of my heart. Because as I've been praying for you, I I believe that God desires peace for you. He desires freedom for you today. I don't know how long you've carried that addictive behavior. I don't know. It could have been, it could have been from the, your childhood or when you were a teenager or in college. or it, it could have been something that's happened over the last few months or the last few years. But today, God desires freedom for you. You don't have to suffer in that anymore. Today could be the day. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We want to pray together. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. Close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. Just a chance for you to kind of reflect on what God is saying to you in this moment. And if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I need to be saved. I need God to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. And I'm asking him to do that right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand if you're in the room today? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. If you're watching online, I encourage you, maybe lift your hand right where you're at. Drop it in the chat. Let us know you're making that decision today. And now I'm going to ask you to do something. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment between you and God. If you say, Jeremy, I need a miracle. I need God to meet a situation that I'm in right now. I want you to stand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to stand up. If you stand, you're not going to be the only one. There's already people standing in the room. There's already people standing. You're not going to be by yourself. But if you would say, Jeremy, I need God to do something in my life. I want you to stand up right where you're at. I'm going to pray for you here in just a second. I'm going to wait on you. I know you're wrestling with it. I know it's uncomfortable. You're afraid to do it, but I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you're at. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you're sitting down in the room, I want you to look up, and if there's anybody near you and you're close enough and you feel comfortable, I just want you to just reach over and lay your hand on them as we pray for them. If you're not comfortable with that or you're not close enough, just stretch your hand towards somebody that's nearby. We're going to pray for these folks and ask God to meet them wherever they have a need right now. God, I thank you for every person that's responded today. I pray, God, for every person that's acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I thank you that you save lost people just like you did for me. And so, God, we pray for every person that has that need right now. 
And so, God, we celebrate with heaven for the decisions that have been made. And God, now I pray for every person that's standing in this room. I believe there might be people standing in their living room at home as they, as they trust you right now for the miraculous. There may be people standing on their job right now as they watch while they're working. God, I believe that as they stand, it is a faith-filled act to trust you to meet the need that they are seeking from you right now. And so, God, I ask you to do that. God, whatever it is they're seeking from you, God, would you meet that need right now? We thank you, God, that you are more than enough. So for every man and every woman, youngest to oldest, God, I pray right now that their faith would compel them to respond. And as they've stood in this place, that, God, you're going to respond to that need right now. And, God, we can't wait to hear the stories. God, if it's a relational need, I pray that you would restore that relationship. If it's a financial need, God, would you be their provider? God, if it's a health issue, would you be the great physician and touch that need right now? God, if they're standing in place for someone that they know and love, God, would that friend or that family member know that right now someone is praying for them? Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're somewhere else today. But God, would they know wherever they are, would your presence just fill that room? And God, that they would know there's a group of people praying for them right now. God, we thank you that you're a God of miracles. And we ask you right now that the strong and mighty hand of God would intervene in these circumstances right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.